Hear these words from Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent by the God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what, what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for I have, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And now... Your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who, who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Good and gracious God, between the words that are spoken and the words that are heard, may your Holy Spirit be powerfully present. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever faced any pushback or critique or confrontation from something that you believe in or support. Maybe it's a certain parenting style that your parents couldn't jive with, or maybe you decided to stick up for somebody who wasn't in your friend group and all your friends gave you that side eye, maybe. Or perhaps some political views within your family or friend group as well. For me, um, out here in New York, I often receive a little bit of confrontation uh, over something a little less serious, which, which is to say that, um, it's hard to say this, but I, I want to see the New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady win another Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I get it, I get it. Like in this room, in New York, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some heat for that. But let me explain. I, I grew up as a, a Michigan fan. And Tom Brady's from Michigan. And I saw him struggle as a senior to get playing time. You know, and him go from that reality to winning multiple Super Bowls. And sure, my support for him was a little deflated when some scandals hit. But let's not talk about that too deeply, all right? Um, because, because, you know, I still support him. And I, but I get why you might, uh, you know, critique me and everything. And with the exception of Tom Wilder, perhaps you respect me a little bit less. Anyway, sometimes you got to stick to some principles. But in all seriousness, um, I suspect that we've all been in some social situation uh, as an outsider because of a position 
that we've taken or something we believed in. And maybe you're like a thrill junkie that enjoys that kind of social situation where your back's up against the wall and you enjoy fighting your way out, you know. And I don't want to knock your thing, but I think that for most of us, we don't really enjoy this. <laughs> it's not a very comfortable experience. And I want to ask, have you ever come under fire or been confronted for your trust in God? Have you ever said, I believe and trust in Jesus and what he has done in my life and the room has fallen silent? Or you're met with that side glance again or snickering comments. This happens to me at dinner parties or a lot of situ social situations where people begin to ask, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and, and out in Holland, Michigan, where I went to school for seven years, um, I would say, like, I'm studying to be a pastor. And people go, ooh, ah, pastor. You're like the best of us, aren't you? Because, like, there it's more culturally normal to, to like, get a merit badge uh, because you're Christian and people saw that you're on the right side and everything's good in your life. And, uh, but out here, responses vary a little bit more, so to speak, from appreciation. And some might say, Oh, so cool, awesome. So you devoted your life to, to doing such good at such a young age. How did you do that? To skepticism, where someone might say, why would you devote yourself to something like that at such a young age? <laughs> and then there was my favorite, which is just total confusion, for when somebody asked what I do, and I said I was a pastor, they're like, you're a pastor? So like, you tend sheep? <laughs> and I just said, yeah. Yeah, we're not going to go into that too much further. But, but um, for the sake of it, there's, there's one time when I do recall experiencing um, hostility, perhaps. I'll say that. Um, I was in a bike shop getting my bike tuned up one day, and the mechanic asked, what do you do for a living? And I told him, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, like a Christian pastor. I said, yeah wondering what was coming next. And he said, I just don't get it. Getting noticeably agitated. How can you believe in something that's such a fairy tale? How can you be part of something that has done so much harm in the world? People preaching values while being two-faced about it. It's all such nonsense. And about that time, I started wondering what it would be like to be a CPA or something. <laughs> sure, sure, like spring times might not be so fun, but I could deal with it. And, and, and so suddenly trusting in Jesus and inviting others to do the same was confronted by something. And I was getting a little on edge, a little worried. And yet my response in that situation was just to begin to, to, asking question, to ask questions. Um, as Pastor St Stacy would say, you know, remain curious and say, tell me more about that. <laughs> um, and as I listened, um, he eventually said that, that his wife had taken their daughter, who's four years old, to Sunday school one day. And the Sunday school teacher um, said, well, you know what? If you don't go to church every Sunday, you're going to hell. And, and after he said that, um, he said, where does somebody get off telling a little kid that answer? 
And he spat these words out with frustration and brokenheartedness. And I could understand his pain. Perhaps you as well. Because if I had a, a four-year-old daughter, I would not want her to know or hear such graceless words. It's difficult work to learn how the church has created deep wounds in people. And it takes a lot of questions and a lot of courage to lean into to learning about some of those things. And you know, it's interesting because the majority of uh, conversations that I have with people in the last 10 years, more often than not, it's uh, when I encounter such confrontation or hostility, it's, it's not problems that people have with Jesus, it's problems people have with church. It's about pastors who have hurt people. And I wish it weren't so, but I'm human, and I know that I'm not above hurting people. As much as I don't want to do that, it's something that can happen. But for all the shepherds of local churches that have hurt people, that's not the way of Jesus. And it's not what he's called leaders to, and it's not what he's called the church to. And as a follower of Jesus, and a church member, and even a leader, I've found it important to apologize on behalf of the church for hurt that's been sent out or struck the heart of somebody. You know, there are other occasions when I'm in conversation with somebody when someone scoffs at believing in Jesus because the gospel seems like a fairy tale or they have some other kind of issue with, with believing in God. And in those moments of, of confrontation or conversation, I personally can feel small or stupid or ashamed. And it does help to remember in some ways that, that Jesus and many followers were also on the receiving end of scoffing and mockery and resistance. Uh, the psalmist captures this experience perhaps really well with these words. Save me, O God, for I endure scorn for your sake and shame covers my face. I am a stranger to my brothers, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. But I pray that you look at me and turn your face toward me out of the goodness of your love. Save me, God, for shame covers my face. This line can, can grab me because... I think sometimes we as humans can feel fear or shame or discomfort when met with someone else's resistance to our trust in Jesus. And I'm wondering if, if you've ever felt this, experienced this. And I wanted to talk about this because in our stewardship season, we have fixed ourselves on the theme that says God will provide and we are invited to trust we're invited to trust, but trusting in God means risking something. Trusting in Jesus risks comfort in our family, risks our public perception at school or work or in our hometown, social status among peers or friend groups. And for many people outside, 
the United States, and some perhaps even in the United States, it means risking their life. Trusting Jesus risks something. And so a question that I have in, in our trusting God is what does it look like and how do we respond and how do we kind of wrap our hearts in the virtue of Jesus and who he was as he continued to show love in the, for the other in the face of confrontation? How do we act when we face resistance? As we think about this question, I wanted to focus in on Mary as a loving portrait of someone who has who was, who was no stranger to this sort of discomfort for trusting God and living in a very specific way in the face of resistance. This morning we heard the story where the angel Gabriel comes to Jesus, uh, Jesus' mother Mary and announces this wonderful news that she will soon have a son. And if you took a step back at that time, um, at that time, the, the Jewish people were colonized by the Roman Empire. And the kings and leaders of Israel were kind of stiff-armed, or not stiff-armed, but um, had their arms twisted up behind their back by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had leverage on the kings and leaders of Israel to do what they desired. Our story opens... And it says that a messenger from God comes and speaks to a young woman named Mary in the town of Nazareth, a village of Galilee. And to put this in reference for you, um, uh, so Galilee is north of, of Jerusalem, but just for the sake of helping you understand. So imagine Albany is Jerusalem. And coming out from there, Gildalyn, you know, I, obviously it's west, it's not north, but um, Gildalyn would kind of be in certain reference point to where Galilee would be. So it's distant. And then if you imagine Altamont or Altamont, I can never pronounce it. <laughs> anyway, um, Altamont's this small village that's also a part of Gildalyn. So Nazareth would be like this really small village of Galilee and Galilee in relationship to Jerusalem would be like Albany in relationship to Gilderland and Gilderland to Altamont. I think I said it right. And again, at that time, Rome was occupying the, the land and bending the arm of, of the kings of Israel and keeping the Jews in check. And so this is a lowly people, the Jewish people. So the story opens with an angel showing up to this small town way outside of the Holy Spirit, the Holy City to some irrelevant, oppressed woman. And I want to just ask you to sit with this picture because Christmas pictures often depict this like really rosy, wonderful scene. But this, I think, captures it really well. I just want to sit with that, mo that picture and image for a moment of God coming to Mary into a dark moment in the history of the world to bring light and life to the world. And the messenger speaks about God's favor for this young woman. The messenger tells her that she will have a child. <laughs> Impossible, she laughs, for I'm not married, and you know what that means, buddy. <laughs> All right, you, Gabriel said. 
The Holy Spirit will create life in your womb, just like it has done in your relative Elizabeth, who will also have a child. You're both pregnant. You can do, like, joint baby showers and gender reveal parties. It's going to be wonderful. But all of this is to show that nothing is impossible with God. And it's an incredible moment where so much is placed on the shoulders of a young woman by the Holy Spirit creating life in her womb. And it's a moment that recalls the imagery of creation. At the very beginning of this story where the earth, it says, was formless and dark and void. Kind of like, imagine a black hole. And it said that the Holy Spirit was hovering there. And from there, from the Spirit, came all forms of life and goodness and beauty and a fabulous garden. And so in the darkness of the womb of Mary, God was making this new creation of his son whose life and goodness and beauty would bless the world. And Mary, it says, cherished this news and took it into her heart, saying, I am your servant, Lord. And one might think that by bearing the life of God and trusting God made everything so much easier. But it didn't happen like that. Being a pregnant teen walking around school or town is not easy now. And it certainly wasn't back then. Whispers would happen everywhere she would go. And so she decided to leave there and go to the comfort, um, leave the comfort of her home in Nazareth for a long stay at her residence. relative Elizabeth's house. Even after Jesus is born, it doesn't get any easier because her son is that guy in town who's always stirring up trouble, always disrupting the status quo, always just a little bit off. <laughs> I have to ask as a connection point, parents, have you, has your kids ever embarrassed you? <laughs> have you ever been shopping with your kids? <laughs> kids, have your parents ever embarrassed you? <laughs> My dad always told me that if you act up, the next morning at the bus stop, I'm coming out there with a Hawaiian shirt and my cargo shorts and black socks and my sandals. <laughs> and I will show everybody the tan that I didn't get this summer on my legs, which was enough to make sure that I remained good <laughs> and in line and not embarrassed. But as for Mary, um, she had this rebel-rousing son, and she still loved him and stuck by him. She loved him and trusted him even when it brought her shame or ridicule or mockery or judgment. She loved him and trusted him and followed him even down the road that led to the cross. Where she chose, unlike the disciples who fled away when they experienced fear, she decided to sit at the foot of the cross at a time when being associated with a criminal would have gotten you in trouble and a one-way ticket to pulling up a cross right next to him. She loved and trusted him even when it was costly, even in the face of confrontation, even though it meant risking something. Because she saw something more beautiful going on. She saw the more beautiful picture God was painting, the grander narrative God was writing and living, and she decided to live into that story. And I think the, the point being that when we are 
experiencing confrontation, for trusting in Jesus or critique. It's about maintaining and keeping anchored to the vision that we see in the gospel. The beautiful redemption and the picture of grace that God paints there. And deciding to choose to live in that narrative and not allow any other narrative or what anybody says to dictate who we are, set the agenda for us. But to trust that by living into this good narrative, it's something that will truly bring life for us and for others. The vision that she saw happens in, in chapter 1 when she runs uh, pregnant to her uh, relative Elizabeth and breaks forth into this hopeful song of what she sees God doing for this lonely woman and her lonely people. She sings this song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he is mighty and has done great things for me. His mercy is on those who fear him. He scattered the proud. He has pulled down the mighty from their thrones. He lifts up the lowly. He fills the hungry with good things. He sends the rich away empty. And he has helped his lowly people because he remembered his mercy for us. Her vision for God is of a God who favors this world and delights in the lowly and fills the hungry and is merciful to those who are crushed and overcomes the plans of those who plot evil. And our invitation is to live into that way of seeing God and allow that way of God to shape our own lives and hearts. Her heart is anchored to this vision of God and it sets her steady even in the face of confrontation, even so that she is able to navigate that and seek to be compassionate and loving even in the face of those confrontations. In the same way, Jesus in his ministry shares a vision of God's own good work. When at the beginning of his ministry, he says this, God's spirit is on me because the Lord anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor and proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He was anchored with values in the heart of God that would set his course in the world. And while we may experience confrontation from our trust in Jesus, we must not be deterred from the anchor of his love that holds us fast and fixes our similar course. The question is the the visions and the images that we heard from this in Jesus and in the song of Mary, do those shape our lives? Are those our values? Do we go to work with them in our heart? Do we enter school thinking about how they shape our day? Do we take those values to the ballot box that elect elect leaders? Do we allow the vision of God to set our course in life? Because after all, it's about living a life that's defined by God and saying that it is better than anything else that could happen. It's about seeing how the Holy Spirit is brooding over our lives, that the Holy Spirit is filling our hearts like it filled the womb of Mary, filling us to change us and transform us so that we might live in the compassionate, understanding way that Jesus did, that we might live trusting that God can provide far more for us and this world than we could ever ask or imagine. Let's pray. Lord, may you continue speaking as you have spoken from the dawn of time. Pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us and guide us this day and always. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.